Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your host. And for today's episode, we are going to be speaking with Michelle Cedarberg. Michelle is the president of Live Out Loud. She is a speaker, coach, author of the new book, The Success Energy Equation, How to Regain Focus, Recharge Your Life and Really Get Shit Done. She believes. Can you say that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I won't get in trouble for that. Um, She believes personal and professional success is directly influenced by the physical, mental, and emotional capacity we each have within us to create the life and career we want. And she also helps you to live a carpe freaking diem life. Welcome to the show, Michelle. I am super happy to be here, Kristen. Ah, I, I love as soon as I saw that, I think the first time that I met you was um, we're both part of CAPS Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, but I think we got connected on Instagram and I saw the, 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 the carpe freaking DM. I'm like, oh, Michelle has my heart already. She had me at that sentence. <laughs> I have a tattooed on my arm. (laughs) I love it. And you know what, as we're just saying that, I think it's like, let's just start there. Where did that, where did that come from? Because I'm sure that's not something you've had your entire life. There's a reason why you have that tattooed. Where did that come from? You know, uh, it's kind of a a sad and poignant story, I guess. But in, um, when I was 17 years old, my dad was killed in a workplace accident. And my sister and I, of course, at that age, you know, we sell out all of our life in front of us, our high school motto was carpe diem. And we were very sad as would be expected, but we also realized, okay, if we're going to live our life, we're going to carpe diem. If dad's going to be watching over us, we're going to have a life that he'd be proud to watch. So that's where the carpe diem came from. And then I added the freaking six years ago when my brother passed away from complications, from some health issues. And it's like, what is going on here? He's too young, leaving a family behind carpe freaking diem. So I've had two kind of tragedies in my life that have helped me switch to, oh my gosh, we need to seize every moment and live in this day, seize this freaking day. And so it's a little bit heart wrenching in ways, but it's also, Hey, if they're up there watching, I'm going to carpe freaking diem this day. You know, I think I'm, first of all, thank you for sharing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a vulnerable moment in your life, but I think it's such a great example of those contrasts, right? And in one way there's tragedy and sadness that they're, they're not here, but also the teaching and learning and the legacy that will always live on because you hold that. And and it's something that also makes you recognize who do I want to be and how do I want to show up in the world? So I think it's such a great example of those two contrasting things that can be happening at the same time. I have been leaning on it a lot during the last year or so with COVID. <laughs> yeah. Let's seize this freaking groundhog yeah. day. Because <laughs> yes. every day feels like the same day. Is it Monday? Yeah. Is it Saturday? Is it Friday? Is it Sunday? <laughs> 
Um, and so Michelle, let's start off by learning a little bit about what got you to where you are now. So talk to me a little bit around your journey professionally and personally that got you to the work that you're currently doing that I know you're super passionate about. Yeah, you know, my beginnings started in the fitness industry. I was a personal trainer and a fitness coordinator, and I taught group exercise classes. I taught at uh, Mount Royal College here in Calgary when it was a college. I taught in phys ed. And so everything was around human performance and health. And I shifted from that probably about 17 years ago uh, because I found myself talking to individuals about health, yes, but also about stress management and work-life balance and, and uh motivation and all the things that we want to have in our lives, uh, you know, at a bigger level. And so I started speaking about those things and then slowly shifted from uh, full-time work in the fitness industry to speaking full-time to coaching, to uh, writing and to consulting. Uh, uh, 17 years to an overnight success. So important, right? Because people can look and say, oh, that Michelle, like, I'm never going to be able to get to where Michelle has gotten to. She's a thought leader out there, but it's lots of hard work. And I'm sure you would say there's some zigs and some zags and some learning opportunities along the way as well. There always are. I And I, you know, I, I say that I'm, you know, 17 years to an overnight success, but I also, you know, rode the roller coaster of self-doubt and imposter syndrome. And I still have days like that. I mean, don't we all in many ways? So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of one of these people that hopefully empowers others uh, to work through the roller coaster and to work through the, the tough stuff, regardless. You don't have to compare yourself to me. We're all on our own journey. Yeah. And, and I think what you said there too, is remembering that imposter syndrome isn't something that suddenly disappears. It's just, we become more aware when we're in that place. And as we continuously grow and get outside of our comfort zone, we can also almost see imposter syndrome as a good thing as well, because there's a part of you yeah. that's getting a little scared because you're stretching yourself. Because you're stretching. Exactly. If you don't feel that imposter syndrome, you may want to ask yourself, am I actually challenging myself in a worthwhile way? Yes. Yes, yes. It's an indicator, right? It's getting your attention. So as a starting point, when we start to think about your book, um, talk to me a little bit more around when we hear the success energy equation. Tell me about that. What does that mean? Well, I mean, because my background is in health and productivity, I put a lot of emphasis on on health as a foundation for personal and professional growth. And for me, health is it is physical health, but it's also, as you uh, alluded to earlier, mental health and emotional health, but also cognitive health. And all of those healths, I guess, create an energy within us that I believe helps drive our success. So, you know, when we talk about success, usually it's, you know, define what you want and believe in yourself and do the work. And, you know, when I write my equation, those factors are in there but I've added in this energy as a driver for success. So that's the success energy equation, having, you know, setting a clear, exciting goals, having belief in yourself about accomplishing those goals and having the discipline within you to do the work all with energy as a magic multiplier to drive that success to higher levels. That is the success energy equation. Mm. So there's going to be people who are listening on and they're saying, okay, if I were to take one step and there's all these different areas of the formula, where do you recommend as a starting point? That's a great question, Kristen. And, and for, for so many of your listeners, for so many of my followers, I believe that these days 
life is a bit chaotic and overwhelming and busy and stressful. And so uh, as a starting point for change in any circumstance, it's about getting present to life as it is right now, get present to the mess. You know, we have to pause long enough to really tap into what we want and need for ourselves in our head and our heart. I, I think that oftentimes we're so busy doing life that we lose track of what's important. We operate on autopilot. So as a first step, I often say to my clients and audience members, just, you know, get silent, get present to what's the good, the bad, and the everything in between that's happening right now so that you can, you know, ask yourself with more clarity, what do I really want and need for myself? I think that if you do that, ask yourself that question too soon, you, it'll get lost in, in the, the chaos and stress of life. <laughs> You know, I think it's so important what you're saying, and I, I talk about this a lot, is the importance of creating space for self-reflection to even ask those questions, because if yeah. you don't have any of the space created, none of that spaciousness, because it is autopilot and is go, 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 go. How can you even get any of those answers, right? Because for the, for some people, the Groundhog Day isn't just during COVID Groundhog Day. The Groundhog Day was happening way before COVID started. Yes, yeah. I mean, I finished writing the success energy equation uh, in January of 2020 before life had really gotten locked down. Um, but and while I was editing uh, through, you know, February, March, April, May, I realized, wow, like all the things that I was writing about before that were impacting us are so relevant now to help us navigate through the pandemic, but life has always been busy and chaotic. Life has always been stressful. We've always had too much on the go. We've always been, you know, distracted by our devices and, and all of those overwhelms and distractions make it hard for us to get present to what's really important. And, and, and that was true then and it's true now and it'll be true when all of this is behind us. Yes, yes. I, I've said that a lot with this reset. I don't want people to forget like that this wisdom and insight is coming to them right now. I don't want a year to go and that we return back to how things were before because, and I know people say, well, we're never going to return back, but we can still return to some of the unhealthy habits that we were using before this. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that, that that's also part of, um, you know, getting present, uh, you know, in, in this time that we're in to just get present to as hard as things may be, what are some of the things that you are embracing about uh, life under lockdown or pandemic living or whatever you want to call it? And what are some of the habits and mindsets that you want to carry with you when we do get to the other side of this, whenever that might be? <laughs> yes, yes. We're learning patience, I think. <laughs> we're learning mm -hmm. a lot about patience. And um, one of the things you just said that came up for me around being present in, in this world of technology and phones, and we're on 24 seven. Um, I think there's lots to be said around digital minimalism and having healthy boundaries with our technology. And so what are, and you talked a little bit about this in the book, and I'd love for you to expand a little bit for our audience today as well. What are some of the recommendations that you have to help people start to form healthier habits with technology? It's, it's, a, it's a tough one because our devices aren't going away. And it's, it's particularly um, important now because in many ways our technology is, is what's connecting us to our, the outside world, to our family who we can't spend time with, to the news so we can keep up, uh, up to date with things, to, uh, to entertainment because we're, you know, we're restricted on where we can go and what we can do. 
I think that the biggest, they're not going away and I'm not suggesting for a moment that we become, you know, um, digital hermits, if you will. I think the biggest thing that each of us needs to do is to pay attention to how our device use makes us feel on any given day. You know, if you're spending too much time scrolling, you know, doom scrolling, that term that's come up or feeling your energy draining as you're looking at other people's lives on social media, you know, when comparisonitis comes up and you're starting to feel that, you know, if you're feeling stressed because you're reading too much um, bad news or getting overwhelmed because you're spending too much time on Zoom meetings, all of these things are happening day in and day out. And we have to stop and, and recognize how it's impacting us to take those breaks. Um, not to say I've got to get rid of it, but if I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm not feeling my best self, then step away, you know, put the phone away, go for a walk without it. There's a, you can do that. You know, <laughs> we used to do that. We used to do this <laughs> thing where we had to come home and press the button on our phone to check to see if anybody called, right. <laughs> um, to take uh, digital breaks during dinner time, meal times with your family, to take digital breaks, um, you know, from evening onwards. So you're not checking in late at night or, um, you know, going through social media, give yourself those, those pockets of time, you know, Saturday afternoon or whatever it might be. Um, anytime that I go and have a uh, coffee with a friend, you know, in those times when you could meet in person and sit down at a table, I would often leave my phone in my glove box of my car. Um, because there's, there's an inordinate amount of research that says, even if you have your, your device with you face down on the table, it's going to distract you. So it's kind of like, ooh, shiny thing. So we're, we wanna check and then we're not fully present with the people that uh, we're spending time with and with ourselves. Yeah, so many great things that you said there. And I think that um, checking with your body and being conscious of what's going on for me is, is so important because what can happen is it's an indicator that, oh, actually, like there's another need that's not being met right now. And I'm using the phone to scroll to distract myself yep. instead of being with those emotions, whatever those emotions, the emotions could be telling you, um, I'm, I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I need to go rest for a little bit, or it could be telling you, um, right now I'm actually recognizing that I need some quality time with somebody else. And that's what I'm hungering for. And I'm going to technology, but maybe I need to go be with my dog and give my dog a hug or give my kid a hug. Or so I think it's so important is it's the, it comes back to the pause again, right? If you can pause, because I think it's so true that you, I notice that what, what it feels like in my body, if I'm in a place and I'm using technology and it's feeling good, I feel vibrant in my body. I feel happy. I can feel it, the energy and the tingling. So it's okay. This is where I need to be right now. But if I'm noticing that it's actually making me feel exhausted and not feeling good, that, that's not where I need to be right now. Yeah. And, and, and we were talking about, about it before we started this call. I, you know, I, I worked a little bit on the weekend because I'm working on an online program that I'm excited about. And so, you know, while I was working and spending all that screen time, I was also feeling creative and energized and juiced up. Um, and that, that's not always the case, you know, especially if we're, um, you know, scrolling through our screens while we're also watching Netflix or whatever it might be. I mean, our devices are in, in many ways, you know, scientifically, well, they're not in many ways, they are scientific, they are designed to hook the neural pathways in our brain the same way that gambling and addiction does. So we get these dopamine hits Every time we engage with our devices in uh, certain ways, whether it's games or social media or what have you. And so for feeling kind of blah, we'll go to the device for a little dopamine hit. 
which will also eventually lead to stress if we're on it for too long. So it's a dopamine cortisol cycle with dopamine being the happy hormone and cortisol being the stress hormone, hormone battling it out as we, you know, pick it up or leave it, scroll or don't, you know, it's a, it's, it's a fascinating interplay that, uh, that smartphone manufacturers actually want us to have. So we keep getting pulled in. It's, <laughs> oh, the science. It, well, and there's, there's roomfuls of behavioral psychologists that that's their role to decide what is going to hook you and what colors yeah. and what do we put this button here? So it's being conscious that that's happening. Um, and, and what do we want to do to be aware of that's happening and perhaps make different choices when we're noticing that's happening. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Michelle, when you think about energy, uh, and I know you know so much on this topic because you've been around it in many different capacities. And so what do you think when it comes to energy, what do you think people would be surprised about, or how do you think energy might, might be misunderstood? I always talk about, um, the fact that energy is a renewable resource, you know, it, it's in us, um, ready to be energized, uh, ready to be perked up by just by e e even if we just make small efforts to move more, eat better, sleep a little bit more, even drink more water. Um, one of the reasons why I wrote the success energy equation is because it's, here's the absolute truth. You can experience high levels of success in your work and life if you don't exercise, if you don't eat the right foods, if you drink too much, if you smoke, if you've got high stress or low life balance, or if you don't get enough sleep, you can still experience high levels of success. A lot of people do it. But you know that's the absolute truth. But the reality is that uh, you won't be able to operate at your full potential. And at some, at some point, it's going to impact how you do your work and your relationships with people around you because your physical body is going to say, are you kidding me with this program? You know, the, the physical body we live in and the brilliant mind in it are ridiculously resilient pieces of machinery that will go on and on and on, uh, you know, operating for you, even if you don't take care of it. And for many people listening, they might think, wow, that's a great thing. I don't need to do anything about it. But the beautiful thing is, you know, even in small steps, if we tap into ways to increase our energy, um, we will be firing on all cylinders at a higher level and experience even higher levels of success. And I also believe that energy is not just about physical energy. It's about um, two other ones that I talk about in the book, um, recovery, taking time to recharge and to pause and take breaks and rest and uh, another way we get energy is by connecting with other people, um, you know, face to face, preferably, but to, you know, have conversations with people that you like, your body releases oxytocin, which is the hug drug, we feel more calm, we feel more connected. And so, you know, energy is this kind of mysterious magic multiplier. There's so many ways we can get it if we tap into physical, mental, emotional, and even cognitive. I mean, heck, I could write a whole book about it. Oh, wait, they did. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you start to think about um, some of the, the there, a lot of the listeners are leaders, they're working within organizations, and they could be in different places in their journeys, they could be emerging leaders, they could be senior executives. And so when you start to see leaders and their opportunity for growth, and you do a lot of coaching and training um, with leaders and individuals in lots of different capacities, what are some of the patterns that you notice? 
you know, I've been coaching a couple of leaders who manage small teams. And one of them in particular, when life went into lockdown, she really felt like she needed to protect her team. She really felt like she needed to work extra hard to make sure they were all okay. And, and in doing so, she stopped taking care of her own self. And as leaders, I think that one of the, the biggest mistakes we make is that we don't always lead by example in the ways that we think that we should. And there's a lot of research in, in um, the business world that says if you want your people to be a certain way, then you need to lead by example. And that certainly uh, is true of healthcare and energy and all of the ways that we um, recuperate throughout the day. So, you know, if there's any advice I'd, I'd give to leaders is, is start doing the things yourself that you want your team to do. Um, and interestingly, it's not necessarily about always working harder. So, you know, finding that balance. Um, and there's small, significant ways that you can do that. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about the equation. So we know that it's around talking through successes around goals, beliefs, discipline, energy. Um, talk to me a little bit more around the beliefs piece. Where do you see people struggling with some of their beliefs? That's probably my favorite chapter in the entire book. And I, I often say that I'm a student of all that I teach. And um, I did a lot of work on my own self-belief uh, in, in my 30s and beyond. Um, I think that, that the degree to which we strengthen our beliefs uh, is the, the degree to which we will find success because it doesn't matter how big the goal you set is if you don't believe in your ability to accomplish it. So if we can have a, um, you know, within us this, this fire that gets lit when we set the right goal, then our beliefs are going to help drive us towards uh, doing the work and doing it well. Um, and so in the, in the book, I talk about, you know, the four R's for uh, reframing um, or the four R's for shifting belief in self, because I think that all of us, even self-confident and empowered people will have those moments where it's like, ugh, you know, this is hard. I can't do this where we'll doubt. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that belief is at the core. Yes. 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 And I think sometimes even just becoming aware of that voice in the head, that's not being so kind. Like I can't tell you how many times, and I'm curious if you've noticed this with some of your clients as well, is the voice was just operating so unconsciously for so long in the background until someone was really able to reflect it back to them. They didn't realize how unkindly, and they say all the time, they're like, I would never be friends with me if I was talking like they would never talk to their friends the way that they're talking to that voice, but it had become talking again about autopilot had become such a part of who they were. They didn't even recognize that that voice was operating so consistently in the backgrounds. Well, and you and I both know that, you know, that, that inner critic can be a devious little, you know, mind uh, mess, messing mind uh, meddler, if you will. Um, and we all have one. Right. And I think that my four R's, I'll just run through them quickly. The first is to, is to recognize when your thoughts become unproductive, because as you said, we're often on autopilot with how we uh, think or how we talk to ourselves. And so to stop when you hear yourself saying something nasty to yourself or talking yourself out of something or being a little bit dismissive of something that you know is important, recognize when your thoughts become unproductive, because all of us have those days. And then remind yourself of 
your past wins, your current successes and your enduring uh, capacity. All of us have gone through many things in the past that we survived. It could have been getting through school or getting through a tough divorce or uh, getting through a, a health scare or um, changing jobs or moving to a new country or you know, getting through COVID, whatever it might be. All of us have had these situations in our past. All of us are experiencing success on a daily level every single day now, but we tend to dismiss the importance of how much we're actually accomplishing. So reframe or re remind yourself of all of the things that you're already doing and then uh, reframe uh, negative thinking into what's possible. And this is where all of us can, can gain a little bit of a, let's give ourselves a kick in the butt kind of a mindset because Oftentimes when we come up against something, you know, like you said, outside that comfort zone that scares us a little bit, um, or when we, we become overwhelmed, we'll often be like, oh, I can't do this. And so the moment you say something like that, it can't be done. Your brain wants you to be successful so badly that it'll look for ways to help you find success if you give it the right information. But if I say, ah, oh, it can't be done, the brain says, my work here is done and it stops trying to come up with solutions for whatever it is that you want for yourself. But, you know, in coaching, we talk about appreciative inquiry and all we need to do is change our messaging. Instead of saying, ah, oh, it can't be done. We ask ourselves, how can I do it? How might I, how might I find that thing that I want for myself? How might I solve this problem? The challenge that we have is that it's an instant gratification society and we want the answers now, but you know, you can ask that question, give it to your brain to, figure out and then go on with things because you're not going to get it right away, but the, you know, your brain's going to start looking for ways to help you be successful. And then the fourth R is to repeat, 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 because we have these patterns in our brain for how we talk to ourselves that have been going on for decades for most, most of our lives. So it takes a little bit of practice to start speaking more kindly and gently, gentle, gentler to ourselves. Well, right, because if we've been doing it for 30, 40, 50 years, again, with this instant gratification, it's not like you just say, oh, I'm going to just shift and start doing it differently. And your brain's like, okay, sure. It's going to take time and, and energy and, um, you know, going to fall down and then get back up again. And yeah, I still have days where I've got to, you know, pull myself up by the bootstraps, if you will, and, you know, give my head a shake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's also re it reminds us of how important, like words have so much power what we say. And then the, I think I've heard it also described as the like negative confirmation bias. Like if you're saying this, right. And then our brain looks for the things and then it's like, okay. So I, I remember talking to a client recently who um, they're trying to sell a, a, a piece of property. And then um, we were talking about, he was noticing he was in scarcity and wanted to get into more, more of an abundance mindset. And one of the things he recognized is he kept on saying, I'm never, we're never going to sell it. This thing's never going to sell. It's never. And I'm like, well, you're pretty much going to look for whatever you can to confirm that if you start to say and we really got into visioning like really seeing that person and welcoming them in and couldn't wait for someone to come have that house well then what's your brain going to do just like you're saying looking for opportunities you might all of a sudden think of something that hadn't even occurred to you because you're in a way different energy states it's 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 remarkably powerful and i i think that you know if your listeners just even practice a little bit with 
some, you know, some little, how might I exercise more? Or how might I be more kind to my kids when I'm grumpy? Or how might I embrace positivity, you know, in little ways to see what happens. It's kind of fun. Yes. Be open possibilities. Be open. <laughs> um, something that you said that I really appreciated when it came to goals is you said, uh, smart goals are dumb. I'm done with smart goals. And at first I was like, Ooh, Ooh, a little controversial. Where are we going here, Michelle? But I, I completely appreciate what you said when you started to talk about stretch goals. So, so talk to me about your perspective when it comes to goals and setting goals and smart goals and what you'd like to see rather than smart rather goals. than smart goals. Yes. I think goals are important. Number one, I think that we all um, thrive when we've got something to look forward to, you know, especially kind of a big goal, as long as it's the right goal. And oftentimes we will set a goal based on what we think we should do or what other people expect from us instead of kind of tapping into what head and heart tell us is the right way for us. Um, and so the smart goals that I like, as I said, smart goals are really dumb, is to is to start with the end in mind and put some art in your smart. So normally it's specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-based, and it's all well and good, but I've never, I don't know about you, I've never really been excited about SMART goals in that way. Um, and so, so I still keep the T because you do want to have, I keep the T to the side, the time-based. You want to set a goal that you can achieve, you know, in a reasonable amount of time. And if it's a really big goal, you just break it down into smaller goals so you can experience some progress, you know, every few weeks or so. So the T for me, instead of being time-based is to be thrilling. How do you create a goal in your mind that is so exciting and thrilling that you just, it just won't go away and just hold on to that for a second, because the R is normally realistic. And I mean, you and I both believe in stretch goals. And so realistic feels a bit safe to me. So instead of realistic the r for this one is is to is to frame your goal in a way that's resonant where it vibrates in you where oh my gosh this is the thing so let's use an example because i two of the goals that i had that just wouldn't go away one is that i wanted to run a marathon <laughs> crazy and you know that it's a thrilling goal um it, you know that it's a good goal if it doesn't go away but i still wasn't achieving my goal to run a marathon thon. so the, the thrilling part was um if i'm going to run a marathon uh, i'm, I'm going to run a marathon the resonant part became if i'm going to suffer through 26.2 miles i'm going to go somewhere warm to do it a destination <laughs> honolulu so then you know that's something i could get excited about rather than you know running uh, in, you know, Calgary in, in May, it's the same old table, especially now, but <laughs> uh, so the resident goal, the A, this is the money part. A is normally achievable, which is ridiculous because do we not set goals in order to achieve them? And yet we don't achieve them by this method. So we're going to toss achievable. And the A that I put in is the scary, uh, the scary letter in the smart, uh, formula because it requires work accountability you know the value of this uh kristen but uh normally when we we set accountability means we've got to tell somebody else we've got to have support systems we actually have to do the work or we don't achieve the goal so that's the power um with my marathon it became the the university of calgary honolulu marathon training program and we met twice a week we would run long runs on Saturday. We do a short run on Mondays and then have a classroom session to learn about 
you know, nutrition and, and hydration and what we should wear, etc. And we got all the program, lots of commitment. If I didn't show up for a run, I got all sorts of people who were, you know, texting me or emailing, where were you? And when are you going to make up your run? And hey, can I help? So that kind of accountability means that all 27 of us who took the course crossed the finish line in whichever marathon we had signed up for. That's pretty powerful. And then, then if you set those kinds of goals with art, you know, putting the art and smart, then specific and measurable can stay the same. I was running 26.2 miles on December 5th, 2005, you know, Honolulu Marathon, whatever it was. So it's kind of an interesting thing, thrilling and resonant, mm. and then get that accountability piece, pretty darn powerful mm. and a little bit more fun. <laughs> I, I really love that spin to it because I, I did, and I hadn't really, I don't, I think, I don't think I dissected and pulled it apart the way you did in that way, but there were parts of it. I was like, realistic, like the whole point about is dreaming big. Like it, some people are going to actually say to you, that's not going to happen. Great. And now I want the dream even more because you're telling me I can't make it happen. Watch me make it happen. Um, so, so, well, and here's the thing, set that big goal. Yes. And then start asking yourself, how can I, what do I need to do in order for this to become a reality? Cause yeah. running a marathon, you got to start with shorter distances, writing yeah. a book. You got to start with, you know, writing a chapter, you know, yes. we always think of the end result and go, my gosh, that's going to be hard. Well, just start <laughs> the next yes. step will reveal itself. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Breaking it down. And there's a couple of things that also um, occur to me as you were talking about this, sometimes with the goals too. Um, yes, it's achieving the goal and you get there and it feels exciting. But a lot of times what I notice in the resonance is actually who we're becoming as we're working towards that goal, as opposed to getting there, right? Like, look, look what's happening. I got so excited for your goal, just as you're talking about it, right? You Now you have this community <laughs> that's coming together. Now you're going to get to go to Honolulu. Who knows? Like it opens up all these other things that ultimately you might hit the marathon, which is cool, but it's all the other things that showed up as you were working towards and becoming the person you needed to be to achieve that goal. Yeah. I remember when I was training for my long runs, the day when I ran the longest distance I had ever run, it wasn't marathon distance at, at that time, but I think I'd run 32 kilometers or something like that. I'm like, I would not have been able to do this, you know, 10 weeks ago. So, you know, and to have that strength to get up and do the thing that you don't want to do, even though, uh, even when you don't want to do it, because you know, the results it will bring. And I believe that like, I mean, that's discipline in and of itself. And that's one of the things that drives our success. Sometimes we don't want to do the work. <laughs> One success, we got to do the freaking work. <laughs> And, and let's go to that one. Let's talk through that because I think that's a big component we need to address. So talk about the discipline. What do we need to be aware of on the discipline piece? Well, I think that we need to be aware that every single one of us is full of discipline for something. Because I, you know, I used to, back in the day when we could get together with audiences in person, I would ask people, how many of you think you don't have discipline? And, and a good portion of the audience would put their hands up. But the things that they're thinking of that they don't have discipline for are the things that they continue to put aside while they are you know, being disciplined at all the other things that they need to do. Life is busy. So we're always disciplined doing our job or caring for our kids or you know, doing all the things that keep uh, our roof over our head and food on the table and all of those things. High level of discipline. We beat ourselves up because, gosh, I'm not disciplined to exercise and I'm not disciplined to get that website done or to start that business or to you know, do that thing that I personally have been dreaming of. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, you think about all of the, 
the dreams and goals that are on hold, those are the things we typically lack discipline for. And it's not because we are lazy or unmotivated. It's because we're so busy in other aspects of our work and life. And those things draw us in. Most of the goals and dreams that we want to have discipline for, we have to act on them. They don't act on us. And we're waiting for time and energy. And yeah. So in many ways, when we recognize that, we have to decide, all right, if my obligations are taking care of the kids and doing my job and all of that stuff, maybe I need to move some of my dreams into obligation where they no longer, you know, it becomes no longer negotiable yes. you know, for exercise. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do it no matter what. So it's now not something I fit in when I've got time. It's something that I've committed to doing in the same way I commit to doing my job every single day, um, which kind of elevates it. Yeah. And discipline then comes at a higher level when we can be aware of what else is taking up our time in any given day, yes. right? Most of us, you know, and I go back to the wonderful little device because this is a time sucker. This is a time stealer. Oftentimes when I'm talking to my coaching clients or to even audience members, I will say, you know, if you say you don't have time for us, you know, to do that thing, it's, it's, it's essentially a lie because we will always find time for the things that we want to do. We will find time to sit in front of the TV for hours. We will find time to scroll through Facebook, social media for hours. We'll find time to squander away time that we could be using for more productive pursuits. And I'm not suggesting we all give up our guilty pleasures because sometimes we do need to have those moments where we just sit and stare into space, but we all know when we could be using our time better. And that's, you know, how do we, you know, how do we honor ourselves enough and the goals we've set yeah. um, to, to, to take some of that kind of distraction or waste time and move it towards things that really matter. I think that when we set worthwhile goals and strengthen our belief, then the desire to do the work is going to go up. And you start to all of a sudden get more creative and figure out how you're going to make this happen, right? So now all of a sudden, once that goal becomes that commitment becomes so important to you, then you start to become more resourceful and then the energy and everything else you've talked about today. And so then you're in that place and you start to think, okay, maybe I could do this. Maybe the, the kids are going to do this activity while they're doing that activity. I'm going to do this thing. And something else I want to bring up, because I, I think it's important, because there's going to be people listening to this right now. And I always get this an intuitive hit, somebody listening right now needs to hear this message. Because I hear the time one. And then I also hear the the money one, the investment one, we know this when it comes to coaching as an example. And it's so interesting, as I probe and go deeper, I will see so many times where that individual is so quick to invest in their children and their husband and the travel thing for here. But then when it comes to actually investing in themselves, there's a barrier, there's a block there that they're not allowing themselves and not yes. valuing themselves as that being as important as everybody else and that their dreams are somehow not as important as everybody else's dreams. And I love that you frame it as an investment because, because anytime you do give that gift to yourself, it is going to help elevate you in some powerful way. And, you know, in coaching, we talk about the best coaching happening between sessions, right? And, you know, we have these, we spend this time with our coach that we've invested in, and then we go away and we look at the world differently and things start to move upwards. It's, it's, it's powerful. And I think that we do need to, to gift ourselves those opportunities. I mean, we were talking about before this online program that I'm currently working on, um, 
I've been talking about creating an online program for years. And you know, even once the book was done and I knew I was going to create a program around that, I just couldn't seem to find my mojo. And I would just constantly procrastinate and put it off. But as soon as I tapped into you know, the essence of it. And I, I knew for sure what it was going to be. And I started to craft it. Then I started to get excited and the, and the momentum came. So we do have to stick with it, even in small steps until we get to that critical point where, okay, this is not such a struggle anymore. I can do this. Right. And sometimes I might even play games with myself and I'll say, you only have to do five minutes. Like that's all you have to do. Just touch it. You and me both. (laughs) And then I'll do the five minutes and I'm like, oh, and the next thing you know, an hour and a half later. Right. But I just had to tell my mind, this is all you're committing to right now. You're just committing to five minutes. We're similar in that way. Cause I, (laughs) I often say it's not the doing that's tough. It's getting to it. Yeah. It's starting. And so, you know, give yourself permission, you know, to just do 10 minutes and yeah. more often than not, like you said, you get into it. And it's like 10 minutes later, it's like, all right, the momentum is there because I, I overcame the big step of, you know, inertia, you know, I got to get moving, but once we move, then, you know, the next step reveals itself and, Oh, this isn't so bad. And okay. I can do five more minutes and yeah, yeah. put the thing down that you're distracted with and do the thing that you're committed to. I love the five minutes idea. Yes. <laughs> yes. And one other thing I don't want to lose in that trail that I think is important because I've seen this sometimes with, with clients and, and leaders is that um, when they're trying to set goals, they're, oh, I don't know. I don't really have any goals or they're going here, but we want to get them up here or up here, right? Oh, I don't have any dreams. I don't, you know, everything. So what do you suggest for somebody who's listening right now who might be saying to themselves, well, you know, everything's fine. Like I, I just, you know, it's all right. I don't, I don't really know about any big goals. How do I start to think about what my bigger goals are? What would you say to them, Michelle? A couple things. I mean, I think that all of us are going to be better for ourselves um, if we challenge ourselves in different ways. And so if you find yourself, you know, looking into the abyss going, I don't know what I'm passionate about. Um, think back to the things that you loved in your past, you know, in, in when you were younger and, you know, maybe before you're married, maybe before you had kids, what were your things that you were excited about then? And is there anything there that you could mine or think about the things that you've always wanted to do to try something new? And interestingly enough, you know, kids, they're, they're on a constant learning curve in life. And as adults, we get to a point where we stop taking on new things. We stop learning new things because we like to be competent, but we also get into the business of uh, taking care of the family and, and taking care of everyone else and everything else. And so we forget uh, what's Im- important to us. So, you know, mind your past for passions that you had, look out into the world and say, what is something that I've always wanted to try? Um, I bought uh, hockey skates this winter because um, I, I used to ice skate um, and not very well, but I just wanted to go out onto the wild lakes here in Alberta. And so I, I invested in hockey skates and I skate very poorly, but there is something freeing about doing something badly (laughs) until you get to that point where you're feeling comfortable and competent. And it could be, you know, online dance classes. It could be, you know, writing for fun, you know, learning how to cook, whatever it might be for you. And then from there, your goals might start to reveal themselves. You know, it turns out you're sort of good at this, or you you kind of want to explore this area more. And I'm talking about uh, activities, but it can also be, you know, the work realm as well, Um, you know, trying something new. 
Well, I think part of it is just allowing yourself to go back to that playful, experimenting, creating, because I always say it's like the breadcrumbs. As you try one thing, then it gets you to another thing and another thing, but you wouldn't have gotten there without trying the first thing, right? So it's just allowing yourself to be in that, just the openness and creativity and experimenting. Well, and, and, and to be a, and to be a learner, you know, to be open to not being good at something and recognizing that everything takes time, you know, if we're going to get good at something, we need to practice. I'm, I'm creating, um, through an online program called Canva, I'm making all sorts of forms and things for my program. And when I first got on there, it was overwhelming. It's like, I don't know how to do this. This sucks. And it, can't, it looks like crap and I can't figure this stuff out. And it wasn't until I spent some time with it playing, just creating stuff that I learned how to unleash the possibilities. And I think we're that instant gratification we were talking about earlier comes into play here again. You know, we, we, we have to be okay at being mediocre at something until we get better. (laughs) You know, it's so true because even with this podcast, which was a passion project for me, and I also said, I'm going to teach myself, I'm going to figure this out. So I'm the one that's playing on YouTube and talking to other people in the podcast community and playing and evolving. And I look back now in the way I even talk about where I'm asking people, like, I want to put in an intro and an outro and edit it. And what's the best thing? And the ways that I'm talking, there's no way 18 months ago or two years ago, I would ever anticipate (laughs) that I would be that person. But I just allow, you know, I just said, you know what, this is something that really matters to me, I'll figure it out as I go. And then look what's what look what's possible. So I think it's perhaps if we what we talked about a little bit earlier in this conversation around the self talk and the beliefs is really allowing yourself to be the students because I think sometimes we get to that perfectionism that we don't want to be in the messiness. We want to go right to mastery, but you don't get to get to mastery unless you are in the messiness. You can't skip that. The beauty of beginner's mind. (laughs) And I like to reframe that because beginner's mind for me is a place of stress-free because as as an educator, as a teacher, I always need to know or that's the perception and, and to be somewhere where I'm just like, I'm not very good at this. And I love it. Yes. I love sucking at something. Yes. It's just, yes. it's okay to be just okay. Yes. And to, you know, play in that space and you know, see what happens. I, yeah. I just, it's a lot of fun. It really is. It really is. As we start to wrap up today's conversation, Michelle, I always like to give you um, my wonderful guest, an opportunity to leave a final thought with the audience. What's showing up for you? Oh, wow. You know, I often say that one of the reasons why I became a coach is because I kept meeting people who have no idea how extraordinary they are. And so maybe the message I want to leave your listeners is that every single one of us has some sort of gift within us that might be readily apparent, or it might still be looking to be discovered, but we're, we are, we are all extraordinary in our own Um, unique way. And so I challenge people to, if they don't know what that is, to keep looking for it because it's there. Yes. Yes. Such good words of advice. Michelle, where can people learn more about you? Well, it's exciting. If you go to michellecederberg.com, you can learn about the new book. And uh, I have a brand new free six days work life reset that you can uh, sign up for and um, and I've got a new Success Energy Book School coming up, but michellecederberg.com and you'll get all of my social channels there and you can always contact me if you've got any questions. 
Excellent. Everyone go check out everything. Michelle's got lots of fun stuff to uh, learn about. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for being here for this conversation. Thank you. You're really good at this podcasting thing. (laughs) Thank you, Michelle. Everyone have a wonderful day wherever you are in the world. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Talk to you soon, everyone. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.